Welcome to this week's serving of Oyster Stew, a mix of financial services commentary and insights. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in the industry based on what we see as we work with regulators and clients. We hope you come away with the knowledge and tools to help you make the best decisions for your firm's future. Today's episode is part one of a series of podcasts discussing the SEC's 2020 exam priorities. Hi, everybody. This is Buddy Doyle. I'm Chief Executive Officer of Oyster Consulting, and welcome to this latest version of Oyster Stew, our podcast uh, that we use to talk about the financial services industry. I'm fortunate enough today to be joined by Evan Rosser and Joe Turner, both of whom are former regulators, have worked in the broker-dealer and investment advisor business for, uh, for quite a while, and have transition to consulting as uh, they go through their career and have been with Oyster Consulting for some time. So thank you, Evan. Thank you, Joe, for joining us. What we're talking about today is the examination priorities, uh, the SEC and FINRA. If you're wondering what's on their mind, it's fortunate that they tell you uh, every year. So Evan, I think uh, what I'd like to do is maybe get some observations about the, the letter and sort of some overarching thoughts about how FINRA is approaching this. Sure. Thank you, buddy. The exam priority letter starts with a uh, cover letter, and I just wanted to mention a few items that appear in the cover letter. One, um, they talk about the new five categories of firms, uh, retail, capital markets, carrying and clearing, trading and execution, and diversified. And they talk a little bit about the efficiencies they hope to realize with this new categorization. Uh, but I think it's still up in the air, and they don't go into much detail on how that's going to affect the exam process. Another thing about this year's letter, which I think is very helpful, it includes a list of practical considerations for firms that they can use in evaluating their compliance programs, uh, as well as links to additional resources. So I think that's a very uh, helpful tool that is in this year's letter. Finally, I just wanted to make one observation that some of the initiatives in this letter are the result of new regulations and new rules, uh, particularly Reg BI, which we'll talk about in a minute. But many others are areas where FINRA has concerns with compliance, about compliance with existing longstanding rules. So not everything in the letter is a new uh, area. In fact, there are many repeat areas. But it's important to realize that this is not all new regulations, but it's reviewing existing as well. And Joe, uh, as Evan mentioned, there are certainly a lot of uh, areas of focus for the regulators that are not new. Maybe you could give us a quick rundown of some of the things that we see consistently brought out by the, the regulators and examiners and maybe some thoughts on those topics. Sure, buddy. There are certainly some items on the list that we've seen before, and we want to emphasize the fact that just because they've been there before doesn't mean they're just as important now as they were previously. We've got some items such as communications with the public, always a, a, an important topic, always one that FINRA is concerned with and wants to be sure that you've got your policies and procedures in order and that you are, in fact, doing surveillance and follow-up to make sure that you're in compliance with those. Sometimes a challenging 
part of the program for a lot of firms. We want you to know that there are some alternatives out there for third parties to assist you in that. And we uh, we think that the communications with the public is something that you, you're certainly going to want to spend some time on. Uh, trading authorization, another area. Certainly, uh, trading without written authorization is a problem that's uh, always been a focus of theirs. We think that going forward, that will continue to be an issue that they're going to be focused on. Any unauthorized trading is something they want you to have policies and procedures around. They want you to look for any patterns that might suggest that that type of activity is ongoing and that you've got your policies and procedures in line to address that when it happens. These are, again, are items that have been around for a long time. I think they are certainly uh, items worth spending more time on again this year. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And yes, certainly the communication with the public continues to be uh, really important because it is how you describe generally what you do for your clients uh, is through communication. And so uh, the regulators like to make sure that you're, you're fully describing your services in a fair and balanced way. Uh, and sometimes their judgment and your judgment might be a little bit different on that. And, and trading authorization, again, and, and having a focus on that, uh, I don't think you'll be considering that a waste of time when, when uh, you get your, uh, your, your exit interview from an examiner. Evan, you mentioned Reg BI earlier. Maybe you can kind of roll into that topic and, and give us a little insight into the state of mind on Reg BI. Yes, I think Reg BI is kind of one of the highlights of the letter. It's also a highlight of the uh, SEC's exam priority letter. Back in June of 2019, the SEC adopted Regulation Best Interest, which establishes a best interest standard of conduct for broker-dealers and registered reps when they make a recommendation to a retail customer. Now, a recommendation can be a recommendation of a security, can be a recommendation of an investment strategy involving securities, or it can be a recommendation of a type of account. In the 1,300 pages of Reg BI, best interest is not really defined. However, it can be met through meeting four obligations. A disclosure obligation, which means you disclose your conflict, your, any relationship you have with the product or the issuer of that product, a care obligation, which is for the most part similar to the suitability standard in 20, FINRA Rule 2111, conflict obligation where you must disclose your conflicts, anything that might impair uh, the firms or the registered reps objectivity in that recommendation, and a compliance obligation where you need to have procedures to make sure that these obligations are met. For the first part of this year, the rule is effective at the end of June, June 30, 2020. Up until that time, FINRA will be reviewing firms and their preparedness for uh, Reg BI compliance. After that, after June 30, after the effective date, my hunch is they will be reviewing your programs. And while much is up in the air, I think they'll, I and mean, this is not in the letter, um, but they will be looking to see if you've made a good faith effort to comply with the rule. 
this year's letter has a number of considerations for firms um, when they start to uh, develop and implement their Reg BI policies. FINRA will be looking to see if your firm has procedures and training in place to assess your recommendations to customers. Does your firm uh, consider reasonably alternative or available alternatives to the recommendation? Uh, do they guard against excessive trading, irrespective of whether the broker dealer or associated person controls the account? Does the firm have procedures to identify and address conflicts of interest? And in the work we've done around Reg BI, that's really the, the starting point. Does your firm have a process to identify its conflicts? And the conflicts, for the most part, are compensation. And you need to look at where you get any revenue from a product you sell, uh, what uh, compensation you receive, any trailing revenues from mutual funds, um, any additional compensation you have. And as I noted, are there uh, reasonably uh, available alternatives to your recommendation. And finally, the firm is, nece it's necessary to have a form CRS, Customer Relationship Summary, that explains your role in the transaction. And that's something that's uh, required of both broker-dealers and investment advisors. And I think, Evan, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the bulk of the work that place that we've been starting with organizations has really been around that conflict list and whether they can manage those conflicts and mitigate those conflicts, uh, or they have to eliminate those conflicts or whether they have to disclose those conflicts and how are they gonna disclose those conflicts. It's been interesting going through Reg BI conversations with so many organizations and it always seems like the focus has been on the form CRS, the disclosure from the very beginning and in reality, what goes into that form CRS disclosure has to come from a, a thoughtful process and evaluation. Uh, Joe, you talked a little bit about communication with the public. To me, disclosure is, is hand in glove with that. Uh, but can you give us a little bit of a sense of what firms need to do with respect to the form CRS? Well, as uh, Evan mentioned, this is really a relationship summary, and uh, it is, in fact, a disclosure that's required for delivery to all the retail investors. It is a common part of Reg BI between broker-dealers and investment advisors. It is largely made up of the conflicts of interest that Evans was referencing. The good news is that the SEC is giving us a very detailed and specific set of instructions, step-by-step -step instructions on how to put this document together. And two of the most important parts of it or, or critical parts of it is that, number one, it should be in plain English. This is designed to give to your clients so they can understand exactly what your relationship is all about. It is not to be a bunch of legalese. Number two is it's limited in scope. In other words, you don't wanna bury your clients in a 30 page document. So they say very specifically, hey, two pages, nothing more. Now uh, that is slightly 
uh, tweaked when you start talking about dual registrant. If your firms are in fact uh, BD and IA registered, then that two pages becomes four pages and you've got four pages to explain all of the items required uh, for both the IA and the BD. Now, if you've got an affiliated investment advisor, separate entity, you go back to two pages for both the BD and two pages for the IA. The important thing in the end is that this has to make it to the clients. You need policies and procedures around the entire creation of the, the form CRS. And lastly, but not leastly, that those should be include how you're going to get the document in the hands of your clients and establish a process that is kind of foolproof so that everybody gets the form CRS. And I think that uh, to, to Joe's point, it's, it's very important to have a documented process for doing that. It's also very important to have a documented process to prove you did it. Many firms will go through the exercise of delivering this, drafting it, doing a really good job of having blunt disclosures, plain disclosures, which I'm a huge fan of. And then they give it to them and we, we know they won't read it uh, because history shows that they probably won't read it, which means write it bluntly, I think, um, and ask yourself how many times you've gotten a question about your form ADV from a client. The, the second thing is to, um, to, again, make sure that you document that you send it to them in, in some reasonable fashion uh, so that when they come and examine that the evidence is there to prove that you, you fulfilled your obligation. When we work with firms on Reg BI and Form CRS, we always start with what the firm did to get ready for the now vacated DOL fiduciary rule. Because that rule required you to identify those conflicts, identify the, the compensation streams that might create conflicts. Um, and not just the uh, commission or the uh, compensation from the product, perhaps, but also how you incentivize your registered representatives. So firms that had done that work have already taken a huge leap in preparing for Reg BI and the form CRS. And uh, if you look at some of the FAQs for the DOL rule, they're very similar to the conflicts and the issues that are raised by Reg BI and form CRS. Well, with that, I would like to thank you all for your time. Joe, Evan, thank you so much. Uh, if you were looking for any uh, guidance or thought on your regulatory compliance program or the focus of the regulators, feel free to reach out to us and uh, we will get back to you right away. Thanks again for listening to the Oyster Stew podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so we can continue to bring you resources to help you make the best decisions for your firm. If you're struggling with a topic and you'd like us to do a podcast on it, or you'd like a free consultation, feel free to reach out to us at 804-965-5400 or by visiting our website at oysterllc.com.